Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. I'm sure we all remember our first year in teaching and stepping into the classroom for the first time, wondering what on earth was going on, which I know I did. Um, So in that first year of teaching, having the right support network and receiving the right advice can make all the difference. And that's where my guest today, Andy Taylor, can help. So he's got tons of experience working with NQTs, or should I say ECTs now? So working with the DFE, Chartered College and TES, as well as through his popular Twitter page, Andy's reach has been huge and he has, he has supported countless ECTs on their journeys into teaching. So he's even written a blog for Classroom Secrets, so check that out after you've listened to this episode. So I know Andy has some really valuable advice to share with you, so let's get to the interview. So Andy, or maybe I should call you Mr T, welcome to the Teachers Podcast. Lovely to be here with you this morning, Claire, really excited to uh, be chatting with you. So, normally I ask each guest to talk about their topic, kind of to introduce it to all teachers because maybe they've never heard of it before, but everybody's been an NQT or now an ECT or whatever acronym might be, I suppose, in your country. Um, So tell us why you're here today and what you're going to share with the listeners in this episode. So for me, um, supporting NQTs or ECTs has always been a real passion of mine and um, it's something that I think is so important to, for people to, to have that effective support during that time and to know where to seek that support and also kind of what's expected of them and what they should be expecting of the school. So it's about helping people feeling equipped and feeling um, ready for their ECT years as it is now to be able to get the most out of it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember lots of documents in my NQT year, bearing in mind this was a long time ago now, maybe 2006 or something, quite old. Um, but whether I, whether I was really clear on the expectations or not is another thing. Whether whether everybody working with me were clear on those expectations. Um, any tips for feeling like you really know what the expectations are? I think there are a couple of key documents to, to look to. So on the DFE website, there is the statutory guidance for induction, and that outlines really clearly the expectations that, for the school, what the school needs to provide, and at different levels within the school. So the head teacher's provision, the induction tutor and the mentor's role within that, and then also what should be expected from appropriate bodies. So that's they're the group of people that sit a little bit outside of the school and that's the people that who will collect your paperwork and sign you off effectively at the end of your induction. But also it outlines the expectations of you and what you should be kind of bringing to the process. And a lot of it is just um, really kind of common sense things of being open to kind of that mentoring and that support and keeping on um, keeping yourself kind of um, organised and being prepared to engage effectively with that support that's going on there. And it's just keeping on top of things like absence reports and things like that. So it is quite quite generic kind of guidance, but actually what's really important as an ECT is you know the, the expectations you should have of your school. And at the moment on my Twitter feed, I'm getting quite a lot of questions about what those sort of expectations are. So it's really important that you know, you're aware of these expectations you should be having of your school. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I don't think that's really changed since since two thousand and six. Um, not really feeling clear around what it is. Um, I mean, I started a bit later in the year. I think October. Um, so I actually did my NQT over four terms because it was part time the first term. Yeah. And you know, uh, you were supposed to go to one NQT kind of conference a term, I think, and I think I went to one in four <laughs> okay. terms. Um, because I didn't know I was supposed to go either, you know. Um, kind of just didn't happen. Just went to one and that was it and never had another one again. Um, and these are the kind of things that can happen that maybe yeah. you don't know or expectations that you should you should be asking for. So, yeah, it's really important. It is, um, yeah. Okay, then. So how then... What experience can you bring to the table? So you're an ECT listening now... You know what can you tell us that they should really know okay so for kind of for me i had uh, i was lucky in my experience as an nqt back it was and that was in 2002 so i uh a little bit older than you, Claire. Um, so I did mine a while ago. Um, only a little bit. Only a little bit. In 2002, I completed mine. And I was really fortunate. I had a, an amazing mentor that really supported me through it and really guided me. And I picked up the role of um, NQT mentor in about six years into my, into my career. Um, and at that point, it was about kind of, okay, how can I support um, the ECT, NQT as it was there, really effectively? So it was about kind of, okay, well, what what systems do I need to put in place? What support like they need to be offered? And like you, I, I think um, I met then NQTs that kind of came to me kind of partway through their year or they came in as kind of NQT plus ones or RQTs as they were back then who had very patchy experience during their NQT year. Similar things, you know, not getting that effective CPD, not being kind of supported effectively it was very much a light touch kind of approach and I think where the early career framework comes in now with for supporting ECTs over those that two-year induction process is it gives everybody access to that consistent CPD and I think that's a really positive step forward that you know we every ECT will be going through the early career framework and that means that they by the end of that second year they will have had a really good chunk of CPT and a good investment in their own progress moving forward. So that's the first thing as, a, as an ECT, you should make sure you're having access to the early career framework. How schools implement that will vary from school to school. So some schools are devising their own materials in order to deliver the early career framework. Some are using a, the materials from a provider. So there are um, four main providers that develop materials for the DfE. But equally, your school may be buying into full support from a provider. And that means that all your CPD will be delivered externally by external um, people to the school, rather than it being delivered internally by your mentor. Although your mentor will support you through the early career framework materials and implementing those that come from that provider, they will guide you through, provide you opportunities to discuss, to share, to reflect on practice. And one of the things I think has been really, really important, and I know we'll touch on this probably a little bit later in more depth, is that separation of the mentor role and the induction tutor role. And I think that's a really positive step forward. And I think, you know, as, a, as an ECT now, it's remembering those, that distinction in the roles, that your mentor is there to support you with the ECF materials. They will observe you frequently, but it's very low stakes. It's in order to help support you with 
the curriculum that the ECF provides. Your induction tutor, they will be the person that will be making that judgment. They will be the person who will be judging you against the teacher's standards at those review points throughout your induction period. And they will be the people submitting that report to um, the appropriate body to say, yes, you know, you've demonstrated the standards, we're happy to sign you off. And that one then goes to the appropriate body. Historically, and I experienced this quite a lot as an NQT mentor, you were both of those roles. You were that person who offered support and the person who would be doing the judging. And sometimes that caused a bit of a, a bit of a clash really with um, NQTs that I worked with. There was a reluctance to say, I'm finding this difficult for fear of that induction kind of tutor hat, as it would have been then, um, on, that there would be that judgment coming, whereas actually the mentoring hat would kick in always and say, well, actually, how can I support you? What support can we have? And I think that's a really nice distinction now that's been made for ECT starting. So what um what are your other thoughts then? So obviously you've been an NQT mentor for a very long time, and well not not too long, <laughs> um, but um I just thought oh, that doesn't sound good. Um, but but what are your thoughts then about the early career framework? Is it a positive step? You know the things that you're not happy with. What what do you feel about it? Well, I think there has been my biggest um kind of not reluctance with it I think the biggest limitation was it I think was is the timing around it I think with the experiences schools have had over the last 18 months so this the the change to the two-year induction has been on the cards for a few years now so this has always been on the radar for schools however last year and obviously the year before schools were hit with you know huge immediate changes that needed to be addressed in the light of the pandemic that was going on and I think then it slipped from the radar and, you know, noticeably so. And there, the priority was making sure pupils and staff were safe on school, safe in school each day. What I think that meant then is there was a kind of a, an, so not such a kind of an active grasp of what was actually coming forward. And I know, you know, from the Twitter site that I run and conversations I've had with schools, they weren't quite aware of the significance of the change and things like the early career framework being a curriculum of CPD, that that bit was completely new to them, the in, introduction of the induction tutor role and the mentor role. Again, completely things that we just they weren't aware of. And I think schools, even as late as June, July, were really unaware of this because of, you know, through no fault of their own with everything else that was going on. So I think the timing of it is probably its biggest limitation. I think the knock-on effect has also been that providers who've, who have created materials for the ECF weren't expecting quite such a big uptake. So they kind of have been allocated places. And I think some, a lot of them have been oversubscribed now. So they're kind of upping their kind of infrastructure in order to be able to support effectively. And again, the, the provider seems to vary kind of the, the start point. So um, one of the providers that I know very, uh, know very well, because they're very active in the area that I'm in, their ECF um, training for mentors and for ECT started very early on. So mentor training happened before the summer. Um, early career teacher training was happening very kind of early in September. Whereas I know other providers, actually their training for mentors is still ongoing at the moment. They still haven't completed that cycle of training for mentors yet. And training for ECTs has not yet started. So I think there is that at the moment where kind of things are bedding in as they always do with education they when things are first introduced there's those there's teething uh, kind of uh, issues that go on getting everything kind of up and running and sorted and settled out i think there is also the the way 
schools are implementing um, the materials and how the time is allocated. So every year as an ECT, you should get 10% non-contact time, which should be nice and clear cut really in primary. So it should be either a morning or an afternoon. That that's, you know, that's time that is completely non-contact for you as an ECT. Secondary varies, and this is often a question I get asked quite a lot. So as an ECT, you should be teaching 10% less than another teacher in your school that has no additional responsibilities. So example I always give is so if you've got 30 sessions in the week, um, a, a teacher with no other teaching responsibilities teaches for 25 of those sessions, you should be expected to teach around 22. So there's that 10% less. And but it's during that time, I think at the moment, where there is, it's how schools are structuring it. In that time, there should be a conversation with the mentor about the ECF materials, time to engage with materials from the ECF, and then a, a kind of a brief reflection. And I think it's how that's structured, I think, at the moment, which I think is adding additional workload for some ECTs because it's not able to be contained in that time because of either mentor, um, other mentor responsibilities going on or being able to find time to fit everything in. And I think that at the moment is, again, another, another part of the teething process that, again, it's that expectation of requirements and how schools are best meeting those. But I think it will be something that, to persevere with reach out if that is increasing your workload unnecessarily speak to your mentor speak to your induction tutor and see if there is a way that things can be moved around and it may be that actually it's not at the moment but we'll look, we can review it again for after half term because of the systems that are in place but equally it could be that actually oh we hadn't realized there was quite so much to do that yeah absolutely we can we can move that around for you it's not a problem at all i think again it's about having those conversations in school yeah. Do you think the fact that so many schools have uh, sort of moved forward with getting a provider in, do you think that says something about maybe how difficult schools were finding it before or maybe the patchiness of it? Because I think, you know, from, obviously I'm an employer now and I've not had NQTs, but I do know quite a lot about the difference between bringing a junior in and how much support you actually have to put in place if you want them to be successful. Yeah as opposed to bringing somebody in who's got a lot of experience who can hit the ground running. And sometimes I think schools, they will obviously go for the NQT or the ECT option because that's the funding that they've got available, yeah. but forget about what that means. And, and, and obviously <laughs> school's not a business, but for us, like, what's the extra cost to the business of getting somebody who is going to need that extra support yeah. and how are we going to facilitate that? Do you think that... You know, it says something about what was happening before and how much we weren't ready for it anyway. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think, as I think we both alluded to before, you know, that NQT um, opportunities before that was, was patchy, possibly even kind of postcode dependent, depending on where you were in the provision that was created by the appropriate body, because they historically would have delivered a lot of the CPD content as well as monitored that paperwork. So you're right, I think there is that sense that actually will will use a provider because it gives that consistency i think also there is the incentive for schools that actually if you use a provider and you go for the full provider-led route there is greater funding back for that so you get additional right. funding in for mentor training you get additional funding in for your nqt oh ect there you go it's the first first slip it won't be the last additional funding in for the ECT. everybody knows what it means you know uh, Everybody knows what it means. Exactly, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so that additional funding in for that ECT as well. So I think that's what's 
driven a lot of schools to take up that provider-led route because it gives more kind of it gives that financial support as well as that they know then the ECF materials are being delivered because I know the appropriate body and Ofsted and DfE will be monitoring the provision for ECTs within the schools to make sure they are receiving their full entitlement to the ECF and moving that forward. But whereas using a provider, it gives you that kind of that that safety net of you know then it's being delivered in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a safety net absolutely, um, and obviously I don't use a service like that, but there there are, there are services that yeah. it just it, it's so helpful when you know that they're so much more knowledgeable than you are, and you have to set meet a certain set of guidelines. Um, so why are you so passionate then about making sure that ECTs have the right support and get a good experience? I, I think kind of as mentioned earlier, I was really. I consider myself actually now looking back lucky that I received the experience I did as an NQT and I always wanted to make sure that the NQTs I received in they always had the best opportunities possible for them and you know I've since starting the Twitter account I've heard some some, some horror stories without being, you know without exaggerating too much about experiences NQTs have received but they haven't been effectively supported in school so my the reason I set up the account is I wanted to make sure that everybody knew what was it what they should what expectations they should have for their school what sort of support they're entitled to receive but also provide that place where they want if they wanted to ask a question there was no pressure there there was no kind of like oh this is the person who's going to be judging me this is going to be the person who's making a decision about my career it it can be very open I'm you know I'm happy to answer any questions people can you know want to kind of bring my way to offer them that support because it is so important and you know we're all aware of the teacher retention kind of issue concerns that are going on at the crisis. moment crisis crisis I was trying to avoid the word crisis but as you've said it will go with it the teacher retention crisis that you know over a third are leaving before five years are up and I think it's that investment in early career teachers and NQTs is so important and so vital to make sure that we keep people in the profession and we keep, you know, those outstanding teachers, those teachers that have so much potential. I don't tend to use the word outstanding a lot because there's too many kind of associations with like Ofsted grades, but you know, those excellent teachers mm. that have the passion, the drive. Sadly, if they don't land in the right school, that can quite easily be squashed out of them. And I think that's just horrible. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that lottery that if you get the right school, you will thrive. It should be actually whatever school you go into, you will thrive and you will excel as a teacher. And I think that's kind of, that's where that passion comes from, is that need, that want to make sure that everybody gets those opportunities that they deserve. You're right though, you're so right. And I can sort of, my experience you know I was one of those teachers who left within the first uh, five years um because of my NQT experience so I and I suppose nobody could have helped this they weren't necessarily looking for an NQT it just happened that I was an NQT and the school had been in special measures quite a lot so it was like oh hang on a minute how do we do this induction thing again yeah (laughs) um and, and I remember them saying that really um so it wasn't anybody's fault they were trying to not do it well it just wasn't a great experience um but the school i was in i was um i taught dance in a secondary school and it was an old gym basically it had mirrors it was quite small for a dance studio but there was no other classrooms around it like there were i don't even think there were classrooms above that part of the school because it was like a really new built school with grass on the roof and everything and you enter at the top and all the 
you go down loads of stairs to get to everything. But there was a sports hall, and that's how far away, away I was from civilization. I was a sports hall away from everyone. The sports hall between me and everyone else. And I remember when I first started, they had a split lunch. And I'd be teaching the year sevens, and, you know, anybody who's done secondary before will know, like, with year sevens, you're like, right... We year sevens, like, I can be the teacher I need to be. With year 11s, I'm going to have to wait for them to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and the year 11s would just come in the room and run around the room. but And nobody would help me. Mm-hmm. And it was just, um, it was very lonely. Because yeah. um, there were no other uh, NQTs either. Even normally there are, aren't they, in the secondary school? Yeah. Um, but those experiences shaped my habits and the things that I did and and things that I didn't do and and what sort of would be in the long run really so I just wanted to say 100% agree and so this is really exciting because you're going to solve the teacher retention crisis alone absolutely I'll give it my best go (laughs) but you're right it is as an NQT sometimes it can feel quite isolating if you are the only one in the school if you're in a single form entry primary school even you know it can feel quite isolating Mm. and you know, you have the company of children all day, but actually that adult company and that chance to have that that conversation. And, you know, so often I go into work with different schools and at lunchtime the staff room is empty because people are kind of in their own classrooms eating. And you think that's a time that, you know, you one of the parts I think that's kind of given me so much enjoyment of the role that I've ever had is the colleagues that I've worked with. And that chance to sit in the staff room, have a really good laugh with your colleagues, you know, vent, decompress, you know, whatever you need to do in that space to talk about and share your experiences. And I always found that if I worked in a a two-form entry school for a a long while and I'd walk out my room thinking, oh God, that lesson was a disaster, they didn't get it at all. And my parallel teacher would come out and say, God, that was a terrible lesson, they didn't get that at all. And you get that instantly, that sense of, okay, you know, we need to do something different, but actually it's not just me. And I think sometimes there's that sense that it is just me that's not coping. I can't do it. You know, people are going to think badly of me. And I think that's, we have to get over that. We have to be able to say, actually, no one is expecting you to be the perfect teacher when you arrive in that classroom on the 1st of September, whenever you start. No one expects that. You might expect it of yourself, but nobody else will have those expectations. You are on a... A journey through your career and you know there's a the book out that says it takes five years to become a teacher I think actually I think you spend your entire life trying to become a teacher you know your career trying to craft who you are as a teacher develop your skills and continue to kind of move forward and I think that's that's something we have to recognize that as an ECT or an NQT entering that classroom no one expects you to be the finished product you are still learning you're still developing I think that's where the ECF materials really recognize that and um, kind of continue to build on the training that you've received and I think there's that sense of you know if those who are completing a PGCE entering it that actually you now get instead of one year of kind of training through your ITE program it's now three years of kind of consistent training mm. because you get that PGCE and those two additional years through the ECF as well and I think it's a sort of a really important recognition that and stating it you are still learning you're still developing and give yourself time to do that. Mm, I think that's absolutely right message. You know, this is still part of your training because I certainly didn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just quickly to pick up on something that you mentioned, it, sometimes it's also about the relationships you can build in school. And because yeah. the school that I was at had not had an NQT for quite a while, 
I was I'd just gone twenty one. I was and I looked about twelve. Um, I was a really young teacher, and I think I probably the next oldest teacher might have been about twenty seven. Mm-hmm. And at, at that stage of your life, that's a big gap. You know, you're talking about having your family and your house and your partner and I were like fresh out of uni and I think I wouldn't have had those conversations because I didn't think it was all right mm-hmm. to not be um not be perfect yeah. um so if you are you know I felt that as well if that's what you're feeling and you're listening um and so it is important to be able to say actually I don't have to be perfect this is part of my learning this is part of my training and School should be accepting that as well. Yeah. Um, so quickly then, if you had to give um, an ECT right now sort of three actionable steps that they could work on, which will just improve things, what would they be? So first one is if, if things are going, if you are finding things tricky, first one I would do is I would go straight to the statutory guidance for induction that's on the DFE website. If you just type in that in, it will take you straight there. And that's something I think is really important. It just sets out what you should be expecting from your school. And schools will know that document as well. It's available to them as well. So I think it's about making sure you are having the the entitlement that is there for you. Second of all, reach out for support. If you are finding things challenging, the biggest thing I can say to you is that schools will support you. They want to support you but sometimes they don't know what you need support with unless you tell them. So it's so important that you do, you reach out in that way. And I think it's about, and the other thing I would say is just build those relationships in school, you know, build those positive relationships with your colleagues. So you can, you know, decompress at the end of a day. You can have those conversations around things. You can share your kind of, your experiences with somebody. And I think that just, just helps you to unpick you know, utilising your teaching teaching assistant or support staff you have in the room that you can, again, build those relationships with to help you kind of talk to them about. Because as we've both said, you know, sometimes it can be quite isolating as a teacher. You have to have those connections around you to be able to support you and to be able to get, you know, to get you to where you want to be. And I think that's my biggest message is that you are you and it should be about getting you to be the best teacher that you can be. Thank you. Okay, so where can we find you then? So I am on Twitter and uh, probably many of you may already follow me, but if you don't, I am at Mr. T's underscore NQTs. And yeah, come and along and find me, come and follow me. And uh, yeah, hopefully see you on Twitter soon. Yeah, and if you ever want to do anything like this, I just want to let you know that your name has to begin with P or T. Um, because in teaching, we only seem to have Mr. T's and Mr. P's. They're the only ones I have on the podcast anyway. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much. I think that this episode is going to be really helpful to a lot of ECTs, um, especially if they felt, you know, in any way similar to the way I did, where we think that we have to be this finished product and and it's all about proving ourselves rather than learning. Um, And that's the difference, isn't it? So I'm glad that there are some positive changes that kind of have happened now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Claire. It's been a really pleasure talking to you. Super. Thanks for coming. Bye. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.